0: Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? Getfeatured.media will get you featured on targeted shows. They'll design a custom bio page, pitch you to the hosts, schedule a time, prepare you for the shows, and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to Getfeatured.media to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow brain pickers, and a welcome to episode 65 of Can I Pick Your Brain. I want you to close your eyes, unless you're driving, in which case keep them wide open, And picture yourself sitting on a sandy beach, sipping on a cocktail, looking out at the perfectly blue, peaceful ocean. You are married to the person of your dreams. You have beautiful children. You are in great physical shape. You have just sold your business to a multi-billion dollar Fortune 500 company. And yet, you sit there, feeling empty inside. Something is missing but you don't know what it is. Well, my guest today knows that feeling all too well. Laura Co. climbed the mountain of proverbial success only to find that when she reached the top, she felt like jumping off. Laura is today the queen of authenticity and author of Emotional Obesity, a book that will make you rethink what to focus your life on. She is dedicated to helping people unlock their authentic voice to find success and meaning in everyday life using practical techniques steeped in ancient wisdom. Laura, welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain.
1: I am so excited to be here. Thank you. That was a beautiful intro.
0: (laughs) Thank you very (laughs) much. Thank you, Laura. By the way, uh, for those listening, um, I've never done this before, but um, somehow... I'm going to be on Laura's show today, and Laura's on my show, so we're, we're pretty much having two sessions in one day. So I guess we're going to get to know each other really well.
1: I can't wait. I know. It's like an extended coffee hour.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> be- before we get into how you built up a multi-million dollar business and why you felt unfulfilled, can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? What were you like growing up? <laughs>
1: Wow, you're the first person that's really asked me that. Um, <laughs> that is funny. Uh, so the reason I laugh is because I think my friends who you know get to know me and 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 ask that question are usually there's a, a moment of of surprise um, because <laughs> of my resume, the way it looks at this point. <laughs> They're not really ready to hear that answer. Um, I was, let's see. I mean, when I was really young, I was the kid who was just always playing. I was social, outdoors, happy. Uh, if there was a group of kids hanging out, having a good time, I was right in the middle of that. Um, didn't really, you know. There's kids who I guess sat alone and drew or or, or hobbies. I, you know, that wasn't me. I was just at uh, any moment that I could spend with my friends. You know, sports, hanging around. That was that was um, the focus. And and then I was that kid in school that I just. I mean. I just had to ask why to everything. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't know why we were doing it, like Gretchen Rubin just came on my show and she was talking about these tendencies. And, and I had a moment cause I, it, it, she said there's something called a questioner who has to know why. And once you know why you'll do it. But I thought everything at school was arbitrary. I couldn't understand like who cared about writing some weird, you know, book report.
0: Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> yeah.
1: I just didn't, I, I just didn't do anything. I was terrible in school. I, Um, (laughs) like (laughs) hung out all the time that, that, that kid who just liked to socialize was, um, you know, carried all the way through until I had, uh, you know, I started partying and hanging out and I, I was, I was the child that you want your kids to keep away from essentially to (laughs) say it mildly. Um, and I, I sort of woke up at 16 you know, my grades were a wreck, and my brother was going off to college, and it it just hit me. I don't know why. Uh, my parents were not very involved. We didn't have like chats as as a family about, you know, the importance of studying and and future, and I I just didn't think about things like that on my own. And he he was going off to college, and and it just was like the cold shower, right, that hit me that oh my god, this matters. I'm what am I going to do with my life? And I just jumped in. I got serious. And it was a very big turning point moment around 16. Um, I changed friends. I started to study. I went to a a college and then I worked really hard to transfer to another college and and kind of took off from there.
0: Well, it's interesting because I guess there's a theme really in your life about asking the question, why, right?
1: (laughs) It is (laughs) a theme, absolutely. And I think when I've attached myself to... A purpose. Um, it's made sense to me, and I've I've really been motivated. And when I haven't, um, I haven't been as motivated. And uh, yeah, that's sort of become the focus of my current work.
0: Well, wow. so you you built up a, a multi million dollar healthcare company. Can you share how did you get started with it, and how did you how did you manage to grow it so big?
1: Yeah. So to sort of continue the the theme of. You know, from childhood, like I, I sort of woke up and and got serious. And philosophy, of all things, was the thing that mattered most to me. I was <clears throat> very passionate about it. I was, um, you know, a straight A student. I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, people, of course, teased you. was like, what are you gonna do with philosophy? I didn't care. I just, I just loved it. And I went to graduate school, and. It was, this is, you know, I'm dating myself, but this was pre-internet, way before internet. And so other <laughs> okay. than going in to become a professor, I didn't know what to do with this degree, and I didn't want to be in an ivy tower. Uh, I, I realized quickly, you know, writing articles to 15 other philosophers at different universities was just, I don't know, just didn't feel meaningful enough to mm-hmm. me. So I came back to Chicago, you know. Lost, confused, not sure what to do. My brother and father were starting a healthcare tech company. Um, I was just rolling through. i did I had no intention of doing this. but um we took my father's intellectual property. He's the leading expert in the world on kidney stone disease. Wow. Um, uh-uh. He didn't want to <clears throat> excuse me. he didn't want to um, leave his day job. But he wanted to get his message out to the world, so we started a company to commercialize his intellectual property. And my brother and I did this together. My brother's my best friend. We had an incredible wow. working relationship, and um, yeah, we grew it from there.
0: That's that's insane. I mean, how over what period of time did you were you growing the company?
1: Yeah, I love that you asked that because you know there's so much. Buzz right now about instant success and mm-hmm. heads down, and if you work from five in the morning till ten at night, you know you <laughs> should have x amount of millions in this amount of years. Um, you know I don't uh, believe that. I think there's a handful of companies that get that kind of success. We we worked at it. Uh, we had a great product. Um, our our first clients were Stanford, Harvard, wow. right? All these like so my father's this you know leading intellectual. But even with all that, it was really hard. Uh, the healthcare. Industry is very, very complicated. We're we're a laboratory company with, um, like, the latest. We we combine technology and lab testing, which nobody mm-hmm. had really done. Um, we created a new model, and so it um, it took us about ten years to grow it to the point of a sale.
0: Wow! So that's 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 a long that's a decent amount of time to stick it out. I mean, ten years, and at the at the end of the ten years, I guess at the point of where you were offered i mean first of all did you plan to sell or was that kind of just a uh, surprise you know someone called you up randomly and said hey we want to buy your company
1: yeah so i mean my brother and i were ran ran the company you know my father really wasn't there and now i look back and i'm like wow you gave a 24 and a 26 year old your whole life's yeah. uh work it's kind of nuts but um I don't know that we, I mean, we, we would have loved to sell. That was definitely a goal. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we had a particular strategy when we were starting of how that would work. Um, but, you know, this is the thing with businesses. You you write your plans and then you pivot and iterate and you really figure out who you are as you grow and scale. Um, so, you know, we developed a model for Managing people with chronic illnesses, right? If you have a if you have a cold, you go to the doctor. You you might get an antibiotic or whatever. If you're very sick, terminally ill, it's it's very different. But for people who have uh, illnesses that you know are lifelong, uh, management is the key thing. So we were in the center of that space, and we became the gold standard model for it. And so. Um, it really took a lot of time to build out what that model was. Technology was very difficult back then. We had mm-hmm. a team of 10 IT people <laughs> coding full time wow. to create our system. <laughs> and, uh, um, it, we were thinking about an exit strategy. We took the model and we moved it over to another disease state and we realized that we could replicate this in in a different disease state. Mm-hmm. So it was something that, you know, could really scale, um, and we were thinking about an exit strategy, and but we were actually approached by the second largest lab in America uh, to purchase us. So that's how that came about.
0: That's massive. They, they were a multi-billion dollar company, Fortune 500 company.
1: Yeah, it's a $4 billion business, 27,000 employees.
0: Wow. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> they could, hold on, so they called yeah. you up just out of the blue and just said, hey guys, you know, we're interested in buying you out.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you know, here I was. I had sweated it out for ten years, and I finally found a little pocket where the company was, you know, really it it just worked on its own. We were growing and growing, mm-hmm. and the systems were in place. And I was like, okay, great time to have a child. I'm just going to take the year and like you know <laughs> cruise control. Right. Um, and I I you know have, give birth to my son, and um, you know it's the it's the shit storm that everybody talks about for six months, and then. <laughs> Yeah, the company just calls us one day out of the blue and says, we'd like to talk about an acquisition.
0: How, what was the um, revenue at that point, the yearly revenue in your company?
1: Um, we were, uh, at that point, we were at around, um, what was it, about $5 million a year.
0: Wow. So, you're doing $5, $5 million a year. And can I ask, what did they offer? What was their, what was their first offer?
1: Well, so it doesn't work like that. In the lab industry, they try to just pay you based on a very small multiple of your uh, net, right? So mm-hmm, they don't okay. care about gross, and it's a it's a very small multiple because it's a commodity business, right? right? It's just like an Apple company um, in the lab industry. So what we made was the case that we're really a tech business. So yeah. we, we ended up um, pitching to them that we needed to be purchased at a multiple – again, it's off net um, – Of something like 28 times our net (laughs) because we were like, Hey, we're not, we're not a commodity. We're, we're something that you can scale. And, and they bought into that and that, that actually became the future of the company and it's still intact. And they've now, um, moved through several more disease states. And, uh, we were the model on wall street for five quarters in a row. Wow.
0: Are you able to give out the figure that you actually sold the company for?
1: You know, I don't do that. Not because, um, uh, I just think it's personal to my family, so I've just decided that that's no, 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 not I something that, that I personally talk about. If it was my company, I would, but it's my father and I do, my, it, I, my I do. I do.
0: I do it for my listeners. They like the juice, you know. They like to hear the juicy details. So <laughs> I, I have to. Let's ask. just say
1: it's you know it's north of ten, <laughs> it's south of a hundred. <laughs>
0: okay, between ten million and a hundred million. So you're pretty, you're pretty, you're sitting pretty tight, um, comfortable. Um, can you? So at 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 some point, you have this kind of moment where you. you you feel like, what am I doing? Right. Um, I, I went on your website and I saw that you described it as uh, it was actually a, a flight on a plane that you were sitting on a plane <laughs> and, um, yeah. you started crying. Can you share with us, like, can you take us back to that, to that moment? Like what, what was going through your mind?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, y- you know, I left philosophy, the thing that I loved and I literally said to myself, Hey, this is my passion, but I justified this other choice cuz I said this is a great opportunity who would pass on it um I can follow my passions later um and at that point I was 24 and I was like by 30 I'll be a multimillionaire and I'll be done right <laughs> now I'm you know I'm in my late 30s it's been a long time since I've you know done what I really love and you know all those years had really piled up and um I found myself now in a place where we had sold the company there's an opportunity to leave But I had lost touch with what I even wanted, right? So I was was just grappling with it so much. And I was on an airplane and it was like the hundredth time I've probably tortured my brother and friends with this discussion of what am I doing with my life? Like, Mm -hmm. this can't be it. Like, I I know I have a lot of success, but something's off. I can't put my finger on it. And I just kind of broke. I don't usually cry, but I just just got so sick of that conversation and my lack of... um, uh, ability to answer it. Um, and I started crying. I was like, you know, sitting on an airplane coming home from a client site. Um, we had sold the company. The goal was to take this model and move it into 25 different disease states. And I was like, oh my God, this will never end. <laughs> <Right>? like, <laughs> right. it, this, it just feels like my whole life is going to uh, be consumed with this choice that I've made, and although I had money and 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 of course choice to leave, I didn't feel that way at that time. My life was so entrenched in what I was doing, and you know I'm a very committed person. I like to follow things through. It's going well. I'm paid like you know at the golden handcuffs in a way that you know I'm an executive now at this Fortune 500. And I just I couldn't take it anymore. And my brother, you know, is my best friend and business partner. And he was like, you know, the world's a big place. Like just go. Like go do what you want to do. And it was kind of the moment I gave myself permission to to move on.
0: Wow. So you left you left the company, you gave in your resignation, nation?
1: Well, so it was funny, Daniel. I I sat back in that chair and I said, okay, you know what? I've been, you know, I still was a a yoga teacher. I, I read philosophy on the side and there's all this stuff about letting go and like letting things, um, uh, letting the world kind of not, I don't really believe in like you sit down and don't move and the world manifests solutions for you, but just like also not trying to white knuckle your way through. Mm -hmm. So I kind of let go. And I was, I was like, I'm just going to Wait for the perfect opportunity to present itself, like figure out the next steps and 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 that was the plan from the airplane trip. Mm-hmm. And you know i was I was gathering myself thinking about what how I want to do it, when I want to do it. And probably three months later, I get a phone call from my brother, and he's like, we got the number. Um every year in the summer, our corporation would tell us that we needed to cut a certain amount of, Money, so it'd be hundreds of thousands of dollars from our budget. So we, they called it hiring and firing season. So they would <laughs> <Okay>. basically um, <laughs> let you hire January, February, March, although you really never got the hires. They would put you on a hire freeze. The second quarter, third quarter, they would tell you to start firing, hmm. and it was just excruciating. Is they, you know, have to manage Wall Street and um, and and their numbers more than they cared about the product, right. and so. We, my brother's like, we got the number. If you want to go, here's the moment. You could save a lot of other people's jobs and you Whoa. have 48 hours to decide. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. Um, I, I kind of, you know, hand-wringing like 48 hours, talking <sighs> to friends, making the decision. And I just it just did. I just said, let's just do it. So that's, that's how so, that ended.
0: My goodness. So you, you literally just gave up like a, a very, very stable income, a really nice salary and a position in a Fortune 500 company.
1: I did. I just I I <laughs> <Love it>. had, <laughs> I Brilliant. had stock so, options pouring in. So I was making God. more than I want to even tell you because it would make me cry at this point too. Go on, um share it. <laughs> but I and I left without a plan. I left without a clue. I mean I literally Because Laura, the reason like, why
0: I, I'm I'm laughing at this because pretty much most people I think listening to this right now, you, where you were that's their goal right now. Like, they're sitting now <laughs> listening know. to a business podcast because they want to find out, you know, how do, I, how do I make my millions? Like, how do I get there? And now <laughs> here's Laura on the phone or on the, on the podcast show talking about how she's, she's there. And now she's saying, I'm giving it up. I'm just going right. to basically walk away. And I think the yeah. biggest question that everybody's going to ask, and it's your question, right, is why?
1: Yeah. And so this is why I've dedicated my time because, I, first of all, I love the subject of fulfillment, purpose, etc. And and I coach on this now and I work with entrepreneurs and you know people who have either gotten to the place I'm in. I call it a midlife crisis uh, <laughs> management coaching mm-hmm. or prevention coaching because, look, there's nothing wrong with what I did. My brother was... Happy, like he was thrilled. He was like, "This is a dream come true," because he loved this space. Right. I, if you look at my bookshelf, the last thing that I'm going to read is healthcare or business. So here I am in a healthcare business, and I don't like the topic. Um. So it's not a. It's not about that. I made this is a wrong decision, or uh, it's being successful in business is the wrong thing. It's. You can't make money, the outcome, and then expect to feel good. So people call me and say, "My goal is to have 5 million in in 5 years or I want to have 10 million. I have somebody who wants to be a billionaire." That's <laughs> nice. great. You know, that's <laughs> that's fine, but money is a means, right, to do things, to invest into things. It doesn't make you happy. And so I had the checklist, you know, I had the house, the car, I bought myself the Land Rover, all that stuff. It it's nice. Those are pleasure points. But when we confuse pleasure right feeling good having a nice car which is great i love pleasure right like who doesn't love that but that is not life's like it doesn't c- create contentment in a life and so that's what i had really 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 confused and until i got that clear in my head that there are pleasure points you know dogs wagging tails like <laughs> how soft is your are your sheets like you know, that's <laughs> all pleasurable <laughs> it feels good <laughs> um but the contentment, feeling good, feeling like, um, a, a purpose-based life fulfillment, that's what you're after. And that comes from doing the things that are meaningful to you. And you know, this just wasn't meaningful to me. It just, it was a worthwhile thing on paper. It just wasn't worthwhile to me.
0: Okay. So that day that you basically signed I'm assuming you had to sign some documents, which re- released you from the company. Um, you walk out of the room, you go outside. How did you feel?
1: Right, so there are all these tell signs, right? Mm-hmm. I was taking Ambien. I was having panic attacks. I was like not breathing at nighttime, right? I had become so immune to these symptoms mm-hmm. because I was like, oh, I'm just working hard. Like this is what working <laughs> hard looks like. I'd hire a yoga teacher to help me with my stress. Um, I left, and I was like, I went downtown to buy myself a MacBook because I was like, my new life. I'm gonna go Mac. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs>
0: It's so cliche. I love it. I know. I was
1: like, you know, this is the beginning of Mac. Like it was like iPhones were, this was 2009 or something. You know, it's just taking off like crazy.
0: Hilarious. I'm
1: like, you know, this is my goal. I had PCs in in my career. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking down the street and literally I felt like I was floating. I mean, I just was like... Oh my god and I I I felt lighter I felt freer I felt like literally this absolute weight had been lifted right which is why my book emotional obesity was the title because I had unintentionally weighed myself down with all of these justifications for building a life that wasn't a life that I wanted Um, and it literally did weigh me down, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. here I am like in great shape and a yoga teacher and I feel like I'm 300 pounds. And so, yeah, that day, I mean, you see pictures of me and I just, I look so happy. I mean, I literally, my brother said, you remind me of like, like the most carefree days of high school. Like when you do, you just look awesome. And I'm like, I feel so good. Wow. <laughs> so it was, it was great. Um, definitely clear I was on the right track.
0: So emotional obesity, first of all I love the name. I like, I really love the name. Um, Thanks. When I hear emotional obesity, I think of obviously it's all your emotions that are piling up and making you feel, like you said, like, like you're basically you've got this big ball and chain right, on your legs, Um, but I don't know, because isn't all your emotions in your head, like, if it's all in your head, and all you need to do is change your thinking, why couldn't you still be doing the same thing, but just change your state of mind, like, why did you need to get rid of whatever it is, it could be a job, it could be, you know, getting rid of possessions, you know, people sometimes, they, they pack their bags and go travel the world. And in my mind, I think, why do you need to do that? Why can't you just change your mind and then be free of, of your emotional baggage?
1: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So I guess the way I'd answer that is to, to back up, right. And say, if you're, if you're, um, taking the job for the wrong reasons, right. I, Literally said, Mm -hmm. I'm doing this for the money and the passion. I'll follow later. That's not a great reason to be an entrepreneur. Um, Money is nice, but you really want to feel purpose, impact. This matters to you uh, over over such a long haul. It's so much work. So how do you stay there? You justify it. How do you justify it? You start to tell yourself, Well, I'm doing this for the money. I'm doing this because you know, it. It's going well. People are. This is a healthcare company. I'm helping people. And you start piling in these thoughts. And these thoughts come from the outside world. And they're interesting thoughts. They're just not my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Right? And so I couldn't tell the difference at some point between all of these justifications that I had let in to allow myself to stay at this job and my true feeling that I just can't stand this topic. And so you don't have to leave the job to get there. In my case, I'd been doing it for so long that I had to just make a change because I I was like going nuts. But at the beginning, if you're able to say like, Oh yeah, this is not for me. And to your point, um, I I say to people who are in jobs and they're capable of saying, okay, this is just not a topic that I'm interested in. Um, Here's what I care about. And we can take, you know, negotiate a change while they're in their current job. But you know the only way that you can stay in a job that you really don't like is to create a bunch of justifications and that adds the weight and so you don't have to change your now if you love what you're doing but you're um overly concerned about approvals then you can just change your mindset mm. <laughs> right yeah. to your point mm-hmm. so if you you really do and i work with people who actually do love what they do but they just they're so consumed with say approvals or they have a lot of fear um, those are the kinds of things you just want to shift the mindset. Mm. So there's, there's two different pieces.
0: If we can compare this to like food for a second, because I'm trying to think yeah. of like a nice analogy, right? So if I'm really obese and, you know, I'm eating, you know, cake and cookies and donuts and ice cream, what would you say are the three biggest contributors to obesity in emotional obesity? In other words, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, totally, totally. So um, <laughs> the I don't know if you saw it on my site, but cookies? I created a scale because right. I found this to be a problem. Um, I, I think the if you, the biggest ones, imposter voices, right? Like uh, people, imposter syndrome, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, fear is huge. And I think approvals would be, a few, if you want me to say, where I see the most common yeah. um, people – Uh, really have a ton
0: of fear they have a ton of uh, meeting
1: other people's expectations
0: imposter syndrome um what was the second one
1: fear Fear. just fear uh that i won't succeed fear failure fear uh, you know people um won't approve of me you know and and then approval is like oh if i do this then i will be accepted i will Right, like <laughs> right. be uh, like stature, I will be part of like there's there's a, a a desire to to meet some kind of collective expectation,
0: so I guess on the on the opposite spectrum, um the opposite of uh, imposter would be what authenticity like authentic, real,
1: yeah, and so I created this scale to kind of weigh out like fifteen. Um, junk food thoughts, I call them, versus oh, okay. nutritional thoughts, right? So I, I I sort of thought of it this way. <laughs> it was, you know, what are the GMOs? What are the McDonald's of our thoughts, and mm-hmm. what are the the kale? Um, okay. and so if you like <laughs> jump over, it's free, you can take the quiz and and figure out what gets in your way because I don't for myself, I couldn't figure out. I never really thought to think of it as like,, um, you know, some people love chocolate and they can't help themselves, but Mm -hmm. they know that. But, you know, when it comes to your emotional stuff, are you aware that, you know, the thing in your way is um, that you're in a scarcity mindset all the time? You always think like there's a lack of abundance and you're in a fear state because there's not enough, right? Yeah. Um, So I put together from the philosophical stuff that I read for my book, like the top, you know, 10 to 12 items on the junk food side and the same for nutrition. I mean, you know, there's all this stuff right now. It's like, be grateful, right? And Mm -hmm. I tried this stuff, right? before, uh, Before I figured it out for myself they're just band-aids though it's weird to say i'm okay i'm going to be grateful for 10 minutes today and then feel like crap again um <laughs> it, it's it's like a constant diet of mcdonald's and you're going to have one you know piece of lettuce it's really not <laughs> that helpful you know yeah. and maybe you don't need lettuce maybe you need a, a, a tomato right like so um it's it's also weird it, maybe gratitude isn't the thing that you need maybe you need compassion maybe you need self-compassion right so um that is what i think Uh, differentiates me a lot is I I really think it it depends on each person. What gets in your way and then what are you really deficient in? Are you... Is that inner critic kicking your ass every day? And do you just need some Mm self-compassion, right? Are you ever able to give yourself a break?
0: So what were your three top... Like the ones that I guess you found out about... Because I'm I'm assuming you experimented with yourself first before you developed this system, right? Um, Mm -hmm. What were your like... (laughs) I I hear nervousness in your voice. <laughs>
1: no, no, no! I'm laughing because I'm like, oh yeah, like the book was me, and I was the book. I mean, literally, right. I I was my own guinea pig for a couple of years.
0: So, what were like the three? What were the three things that you discovered about yourself that were attributing to the obesity, and and how did you work on those? Because I kind of want to make this a, a little bit more like I want like the listeners to sort of take some practical, you know, things that they can apply to their to their life, like when they stop listening to this. So like, give me like some examples.
1: Yeah. So, um, first of all, asking the question, do you know what you want? Like, are you sure about what you want? Do you know that you're feeling uplifted, excited and in the direction that you want? Some people can't even ask, answer that question. So I will say for myself, I was so downstream at this point, I, I forgot that I even loved philosophy and I like wanted to be a writer. Like that was even, it was just gone. So getting back to what do you want? What would make you happy? What would be a life that you'd really enjoy? And when you start to answer that question, if it, if it comes to you readily, that's great. But then notice what the thoughts are that come along with it. Um, that's your sort of tell sign. Do you immediately start to feel like, yeah, but I'll never be good enough. Um, I am, I'm, uh, um, I've started too late. I need another degree. Um, so it can start to tell you, are, are you a perfectionist? You you need to uh, go to school three more times before you can write one page of a book, right? right. So um, for myself, I definitely was struggling with you know, whether or not I'm capable enough. I grew up by University of Chicago. I had screwed around in high school and I was still carrying around this narrative that if I don't have five PhDs, I can't get into this space, right? I'd been at the top university for philosophy and I I didn't finish my PhD program. So it was like, I can't do this because I, I, I'll never be good enough at it based on those standards. So for me, it was just like letting go of some of that inner judgment that, you know, I had created some, some standard that was just, you know, that's great if you want to be an academic, but it was not necessary in my space. How
0: did you let go of that? Like that's, you know, if it's, if it's been part of you for so many years and you're, you said you were at the end of your, you're like, you know, late thirties, right? So for almost 40 years of your life, you've been having this program running over and over in your mind, you know, how did you overcome that?
1: So I have this in my book and and my work, and this is what I do with clients, but literally it was the awareness first that this is what I'm thinking. And so I'd sit down and say, yeah, I want to write. And then those thoughts would come in, you don't have a PhD, you don't have a PhD, you don't have a PhD. It was like, oh, interesting. And I captured those thoughts. And those are, quote, my junk food thoughts. That's me eating that pile of chocolate, right? (laughs) Right. And and just getting a hangover from it. It's in my way because this is what I wanted. So then what is really the message behind that? Well, you're not capable enough. Okay. It's a narrative. We're storytellers. Every moment we, you and I are sitting on this call right now mm-hmm. and we're both writing a little story about it, right? right? Our experience of it. Even though there's one set of words being said, you're experiencing one um, emotion from it, and I'm I'm having a different one. And for everybody listening today, you know, there's 30, 40, 50, 100 different uh, interpretations of what I'm saying. And so the question becomes, if every moment can be interpreted hundreds of ways, am I picking an interpretation that's actually helping me, empowering me, or disempowering me? Mm. So that was very disempowering. So I rewrote that narrative. I literally just said, okay, do I believe that you have to have a PhD to do a book? Do I read books from people with PhDs only? <laughs> the answer is unequivocally no. I mean, I love so many great uh, authors and philosophers who didn't um, get their PhD. So why am I saying this? Our brains are unconscious. We repeat things. We have this unbelievable ability to just narrate and talk to ourselves all day long without paying attention. So that pulling those thoughts forward into the conscious mind, asking yourself, is this actually true? Do I believe this? And if it's not, write a new belief statement and, you know, put it on your wall for a while, put it as your desktop screensaver. I just, you know, kept coming back Mac- to it until it became a, a new belief. And and then it was an unconscious belief and I didn't have to worry about it anymore. And it, it that's how you kind of get rid of these.
0: And so you wake up in the morning. What do you What do you do? Do you have like a morning routine?
1: Yeah. So um, I am. uh, I'm not a fan of like the morning. Wake up at five in the morning. Go for a jog. Meditate. Oh, thank God, because
0: I hate that. Oh. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, you know, I, I think there's so much weird stuff like you can't be successful unless you follow these 10 rituals. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just here to say that's absolute crap. Like, you, you know, I'm, I've been successful. I don't have those rituals. I think you got to find out what works for you. So for me, um, it's getting up in the morning. Uh, my son is out the door at 8 in the morning to go to school. I, you know, find somewhere, uh, a cafe. Now I have an office. But get up and out and work for um, a huge, you know, swath of time, I block my time in a certain way so that I feel really productive. Um, I'm very particular about my week. I set up, you know, exact goals for the week and I schedule them out for the week and I um, work really hard to like celebrate every single thing that I get done, which mm-hmm. people always think is weird. But mm-hmm. I don't mean like popping a bottle of champagne and being like, oh my God, I'm <laughs> the greatest person on the planet. But I, I just, I don't want to have a list that's 60 deep and this plagues entrepreneurs. Like yeah. they have 150 things they want to get done. They're always behind. Um I set up the week to to feel like a success instead of a failure. So I this is really my biggest ritual but I'm you know militant about um setting up goals that are achievable, getting them done, and then recognizing at the end of them I got that done and just like if a friend calls you Daniel and says like hey I just finished this uh article I was working on you'd be like hey cool nice job or you'd say something right mm-hmm. positive? Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't know what your exact sentence is, but whatever that sentence is that you would say to your friend, I just say it to myself real fast. Um, And that way, at the end of the week, I've been happy about each of the things I've done throughout the week. And then, you know, Friday, I go home and I'm, I'm feeling like, okay I got stuff done. I'm feeling accomplished.
0: Cool. Are you are you planning on getting a Ph.D.?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> I, just, I had to ask. I hate <laughs> <laughs> um, So yeah, no, I, uh, I, I know.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, I mean, I, I the reason why I ask is because so, how do you know when that thought in your mind needs to be actualized or when it needs to be just ignored and like, like in other words, oh. when do you say, yeah. okay, do you know what I've really, really wanted to be a, you know a a master piano player right <clears throat> um maybe i should become a master piano player maybe i should just like start taking piano lessons and just don't give up until i'm a, until i can master the art of playing piano or do i just yeah. say shut up okay we've got enough things going on in my life i don't need to be a piano player i can play a little bit of piano here and then and that's i don't need to be a master like how do you know when to which way to go
1: it's such a great question. So here's my rule. Um, when you say, do I want a PhD? Every bone in my body like falls to the ground, right? So again, that weight <laughs> <Right>. feeling. <Yeah. laughs> like, I just funny. don't want to. We were born with an intelligence within us that we don't want to use. We override it with the quote unquote, logic of the brain, right? But if you have kids, if you've been around kids, and you say to them, you know, do you want to eat? broccoli. They're like, no, they don't care (laughs) about being really honest. You know, and you're like, do you like pizza? And they're like, yes. And they're very loud about what they like and what they don't like. And look, I get it. The world is complicated. You can't just behave like a child. But we have gotten to a point where it's like the pro and con list would say that (laughs) I should do, (laughs) you know, these five things and it would be logical for me to get a PhD. And we drag ourselves through our lives. So the litmus test is, do I want to get a PhD? Turn inward, look at how I feel in my body, my inner wisdom and intelligence, right? Like your brain is not disconnected from the rest of you. There's more serotonin in your gut than there is in your mind, right? Like there is information flowing throughout all of you. Mm. Check in, see how you feel about it. If you feel heavy weighted down, like I don't want to do this, that's a huge indication. Maybe... Um, it's fear. If fear is in the way, um, that is something that I investigate. So say I, I think about a PhD and I feel actually a little uplifted and I think like, God, that could be really interesting and exciting, but I feel afraid. That's when I definitely say yes. Like fear is the one, y- you can't just listen to fear because it's like the overprotective bodyguard. It just gets in the way sometimes and it's not necessary. Mm. But definitely for me, it it never fails. If I'm Tuned in, and it's a you know, mind, body, spirit kind of question. You definitely want to want it, then you want to think about the logical part. Well, say, uh, I don't want a PhD, but this is really going to get in the way of my career, and I won't be able to get anywhere in this career without a PhD because it's like I want to be a doctor, but I don't want to get an MD, right? But, like that kind of yeah. scenario that's a problem. And so you may really need to rethink that. Maybe for the greater good of having a career as a doctor, you'll get through your medical school program, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you definitely have to interact with the real world, think about it. But um, paying attention to these indicators in your body of what feels right to you and what doesn't. Um, I always tell people to start on a micro level. These big decisions like your job are are way too complicated, but you know walking through your day-to-day life and thinking about where do you feel uplifted where do you feel excited where do you feel alive where do you feel you know you're having a lot of fun that's what you should follow and learn to trust not just what you know makes
0: sense so when you had the idea to write the book i'm guessing that you felt excited and you felt like oh my goodness yes i want to i want to do this totally right.
1: so you know i before i wrote the book i was going down the same paths that I had gone down to become an entrepreneur in healthcare, I was, I was figuring out what made sense. Um, cause I hadn't gone back and researched, you know, what did the greats, what did the, the spiritual leaders say about fulfillment and purpose yet? I was just kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties. I'm going to figure out what I want. It's going to be authentic and that's going to mm-hmm. be easy. And so I jumped back in with the same system <clears throat> and I almost took a job running Northwestern's integrated healthcare system mm-hmm. <clears throat> at Northwestern. And, um, you know, <laughs> great job, makes a ton of sense, uh, help a lot of people. It's the same answer. Again, I don't want to be in a healthcare system, but it leveraged my previous experience, right? So it's easy to justify these things, but I got on the phone with a woman and I found myself literally cringing at the idea. Right. And so it was a definite no for me. And I, I just, um, um, I started following that system. And when I read, went to write the book, um, I just wanted to see if I could write one page, to be honest. Like I was so <laughs> petrified because this was something that was meaningful to me. Uh, and I wrote a single page after I think three days of sitting in a cafe staring at a blank document. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I, I literally wrote on the document, I'm writing something just because I can't stand looking at this blank document anymore. <laughs> there. <laughs>
0: <Brilliant>. <laughs>
1: and... um. After that, I sort of looked at it and I'm like, okay, whatever, let me write something. And I was so happy. I like called my partner and I was like, I read it to her. I was like, had tears again going down my face. I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. I was just like, knew this is what I wanted to do.
0: Wow. So for my, for my listeners that want to get emotionally fit, how do they, uh, how do they get a, a copy of your book?
1: Yeah. So, um, the book is on Amazon and you can check me out at lauraco.com. Um, and I have a podcast, the art of authenticity, which is once you've lost the weight, how do you stay in a life that's purpose-based? I talk to people who are really successful, but, um, have a meaningful purpose-based life.
0: And, uh, and I'm going to be your next episode. <laughs> you and
1: and you are going to be on there, <laughs> Oh my goodness.
0: awesome. Um, And you mentioned earlier about this checklist that you developed, which I think a lot of people are going to want to, they're going to want to take this, this test, I guess it's like a emotional fitness test. How can they get hold of that?
1: Yeah. So people kept asking me, well, how do I start? Where do I begin? And I was like, all right, you know what? Um, You can't fix what you can't see and you can run down to the Bed Bath & Beyond and grab a scale, but you, you know, how do you know what your actual weight is? So I, I was in the healthcare tech business and I just applied my knowledge of, of creating um, reports in, in the healthcare sector. So you can go to loraco.com. It's uh, the yellow section on the the homepage and hop on. It's free. Get your emotional weight. Um, it literally calculates a, a literal weight for you.
0: <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna try it and uh, <laughs> we'll see how healthy I am. <laughs> um,
1: we can talk about it when when I record you. On that's my a good show. idea. Maybe I'll
0: try and do that before I get on the show. Um, cool. And so for those listening, all of those links will be in the show notes. So if you go to danielgeffen.com forward slash 65, that's danielgeffen.com forward slash 65. And also the other, the other thing you can do if you want to get in contact with, with Laura, um, I've got a Facebook group. For all of my guests and my listeners, so that my listeners can, act, can actually pick the brains of my guests as well in the group. Uh, the group is called "Can I Pick Your Brain." So if you go on Facebook and just type in "Can I Pick Your Brain," you'll find the group. Um, you have to be approved. So as long as you don't look like you know some mass murderer um, and and you're not you don't belong to like 658 groups, I will approve you. So just uh, do a search. <laughs> can I pick your brain, ask to be approved, and we'll approve you, and then you can, uh, hopefully Laura Laura Co. will be in the group as well. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, Laura, is that okay for you to be in the group?
1: A hundred percent, I'd be happy okay, to. Okay,
0: cool, so I'll, I'll add you to the group. Um, any other way that, if my listeners wanna get in touch with you, what's the best way they can get in touch with you as well?
1: Yeah, I love hearing from people. Um, your thoughts on the show, your personal experiences, you can just drop me a note, laura at lauraco.com. Um, I actually answer all my emails. I don't have an assistant to do that. Uh, so yeah, if you're, if you like to reach out directly with anything going on, um, you can find me there
0: cool laura thank you so much for letting me pick your brain and thank you to all my fellow brain pickers i'm looking forward to the day when i'll be picking your brain you've been listening to the can i pick your brain podcast inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth so to put these ideas into action head over to danielgeffen.com